Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dell, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Most investors want to believe they're investing for the future when they put their money to work. But the last decade has shown us just how rapidly technology is changing our world and disruption is affecting almost every industry you can think of and probably some you haven't thought of yet. Uh, There's good data showing that the turnover of companies at the top of the S&P 500 in the US has doubled over the last 10 years or the last two decades, which just means that a company that was a blue chip 10 years ago may no longer be a blue chip now. It may not even exist anymore. And something you've never heard of or that was just an idea and a couple of kids uh, in the parents' garage, it's suddenly a multi-billion dollar company. So how do you really go about thinking about investing for the future? NAB Markets is actually hosting a conference on this very topic with some of the country's most influential money managers. And one of the people putting that conference together is Mark Todd. Mark is our much-loved fixed income specialist, and he's the head of sales for Mark uh, for NAB Markets. Mark, NAB Markets, thank you so much for joining me. Gemma, as always, it's a pleasure. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting time that we're in markets. Um, John Bennett is the head of sales in markets. So just in case John's listening, you are still oh, the head sorry, of sales. John. So sorry, John. That's what all right. What do you do? Uh, I manage core customer engagement. So what I do is a lot of the clients, if you think about the NAB, you could probably put it down to two types of clients, those who are investors for markets and those who are issuers. And they're different needs, different relationships. But at some point in time, you you have to meet in the middle and do a transaction. And what we do a lot with NAB Trade for the meet the manager is bring some of those issuers. So there'll be core customers that often come to market and borrow money. Next DC would be an example. And then there'll be investors like industry super funds who cornerstone, well not cornerstone, but they invest in, uh, let's say a hybrid. They will be core clients that I'll talk to. So it's about trying to work out that, that dynamic around what their needs are and how those needs are changing. So if you think about the industry super funds and the defined pension schemes. We did some deals recently in the hybrid space, which is now in the public forum, um, in the Fin Review and the like, where uh, Unisuper invested in those because he liked the credit for NAB. He was taking equity like equity like risk for a non-equity asset, so he was moving up the capital stack. But he was talking about the fact that it meets his defined pension schemes, which is a really long-term um, thematic on what he has because he has to imagine of all the people that put money into Unisuper how long will they they need to have a defined pension scheme like what is it that they need to do and that's the actuarial actuarial work that's necessary but it's also the investment strategy that's necessary for John to make decisions long term there'll be some volatility in part of his portfolio and John uh, is a great investor and he will talk, that's John Pierce, who's the Chief Investment Officer, he'll talk to the fact that as I buy an asset, it plays a different role at when I buy it in the portfolio. So there might be a higher returning asset, but it doesn't meet the needs of what I might have. And you know, if you're under-invested in that sense of your liability, so a lot of the people who might listen to this, if they start thinking about the liability matching, uh, I need X amount of money for coffee, for whatever my, you know, golf, squash, <laughs> holidays, cars. Mm. That's liability matching. That's saying, okay, so what am I going to do rather than 
um, I just want X amount of money. And X amount of money makes it hard if the liability moves around. And the liability might move around in respect of um, family members needing some help. Can I get a deposit that? You know, that sort of stuff. Oh, yes, that one comes up Come quite on, a bit. <laughs> I don't think the kids ask for that. I think they just get it anyway. So you've gone quite deep quite quickly into the... Apologies. No, not at all. For, for what you're thinking about. So you're putting together this conference yeah. and most of us don't necessarily dedicate a huge amount of time to thinking about the future beyond our own lives. So you talk about people trying to match liabilities. I know what my personal expenses are likely to be in the future, you know, maybe five years out, maybe not 20. But there are people who are doing their daily work, predicting the forces that are likely to shape our lives, sure. but also likely to shape portfolios. And John Pierce, as you mentioned, is one of those people. Partly, I will say for anyone who's not quite sure what a defined benefit pension is, because most people don't have a defined benefit pension, this is where when you retire, you get a guaranteed income stream. So rather than getting Government a lump workers. sum of a million dollars, if you're very lucky, uh, you get $50,000 a year for as long as you live. And lots of government workers and, and university workers get those. Uh, but it does make life really hard for the investment manager because they need to guarantee they can pay that particular amount irrespective of what investments are doing. What do you think of the future fund? That's, that's the biggest one. That's Everyone. the most complex one indeed. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about the conference then? Yeah. What you're thinking about, who's coming, what ideas are they bringing to the table that are relevant and interesting to the people listening? So by way of background, this is the fourth conference that we've done um, in conjunction with Kanga. Is a, Kanga is a news article financial markets publication and we're the sole sponsor for this. Every year we try and think of a different thematic and how we would like to, our goal, and I think it's really important to state it at the start, is to educate and entertain. And when you walk out of that, you'll think, well, that was fun and what did I learn from it? And then how does it affect you? It might not, it doesn't have to, it just has to be. I think a lot of people, and this is one of the, my pet hates, a lot of people get lectured at rather than entertained and educated and then they make their own decision. I think that's really important to, to not be told you should mirror this. Well, I don't wanna mirror this, you know, whatever it be. You know, you should invest like these people. So what we do is last year we had Todd Sampson and the thematic was to think differently. And how would you think differently about the NAB? What does the NAB need to do other than provide people with mortgages, great customer services, but from an investment perspective, what does the NAB need to do? This year it's about the future and how do you think about the future? And more importantly, the thematic is how do the panelists, the people on the panel, think about the future because if we're in the age of disruption you it's very hard to predict who the winners are but it's really important to think that the people that you're investing with are thinking of it mm. and that's the key to this. It, it, it may be too subtle but it's really important to understand that we really want people to be telling us this is how I'm positioning for it this is the drivers of my thematic this is mm. why I'm doing it mm. rather than turning around saying, I didn't see that happening. Yeah, oops. Yeah, the, the <laughs> oops doesn't work. And so we have uh, engaged a, uh, a futurist by the name of Mark Pesci. Mark has a podcast, The Next Billion Seconds. It gets 200,000 people a month. Uh, 
it's absolutely fascinating, so it's hard to cover all of it mm. uh, in, in one day. The, the way we have approached it, it's about that the way we are thematically thinking about it is what will I eat, where will I live, how will I work, what energy will I use, mm. what's happening to the customers. We call that the intolerant economy, how the customers are uh, Amazon-like. You know, give it to me, give it to me now. I don't want to wait. If I wait, it better be a, a pleasant experience. Um, the intolerant economy as it relates to if I'm an investor. So who are the disruptors? How did I work it out? Who is going to be the winner? And therefore, so we've got an equity panel um, trying to work out how they pick winners. Mm-hmm. And you know, hopefully it'll be entertaining. So you've raised a whole variety of really interesting topics and each of them could be (laughs) but each of them could be days to talk about so what are the major themes that the money managers you speak to that what do you think they're grappling with most i mean climate change seems like an essential issue that both regulators consumers Mm. and money managers need to be thinking about plenty of other things i think so that the, the change in all sorts of climate mm. is really important to recognise. You could say the regulatory environment, that, that, that is changing. So how do people think about um, how to invest in a way that gives their customers great comfort? Uh, what promises are they making? Uh, ESG, the, the whole dynamic around where the community is changing their aspirations, where are you putting your money and how do you explain that? So what's that conversation look like? So think about food and think about what are we doing to the land, you know, how are we making you know, the use of the land better? Is that, is that just climate around, okay, how do I get productivity, but how do I leave it better? What do I do? How do I get data that says this is the most efficient means with which to use the land and then still have the land in good working order? Mm, how is this uh, sustainable? How am I using energy? What's the what's the right energy mix outside of the noise around? You know, bias is an interesting concept. You, you can be biased without intending to be biased. You don't have to have an agenda, but if you have an experience, you have a propensity to talk from your experience. So you would say, I don't think wind works because it's not windy enough. Okay, on what data have you got that analysis? Well, I just looked out there and it looks pretty calm. That's not the right way. So what we want to say is to all those people on the energy uh, panel, how are you thinking about it? What's the evolution in it? So what is happening in productivity? What's happening in solar? What's happening in gas? What's ha- what, what is actually happening? And then how are you thinking about that for the next 30 years? Like what is it that you think is going to be important? Clearly people you know, invest on the basis of how they think energy mix is going to change, but Mark uh, Pesci, the futurist, is saying, okay, I think of it as an infrastructure challenge. If we all go green cars, where are we going to charge them? Like, where's the charging point? And if we think that that's unrelated to the way cities are going to evolve, you're kidding yourself. So if we have all these people living in high-rise, where are they going to charge because they don't have a parking spot? Their cars. So what happens to charging? What happens? It's that fundamental question that I, I find interesting where everyone goes from, I've got one theme, it's going to be the only theme. That's not what we're saying. We're saying there are going to be a blend of themes. And how do you start looking at, how do you position uh, for the future? 
all being interrelated as well. Mm. So what sort of timeframes are we looking at? I find this really interesting, this idea that we're trying to invest for the future, but it can take a very long time for some of these themes to play out. Very difficult when investment professionals in particular are judged on an annual or even a quarterly or a monthly performance trying to take a long-term view. What are your thoughts on that? Well, one of the reasons why we brought this up was we thought this was the right time. And the reason for that is rates are so low and seemingly Mm. going lower. And if now's not the time to think about how to get a better return return over the longer period, I don't know when would be Mm. the right time. So if rates, if cash rates were at 10%, you'd say, look, you better work on that 10% making sure that that's a good outcome for you. But in a normal yield curve starting from such a low base, how am I being paid for taking longer duration is the one question. So if you look at a very flat turn deposit curve, so for the viewers that are listening to this, if you you get one rate for 90 days and get close to the same rate for five years, that's flat, that's Mm. a flat curve. You're not being compensated for for the greater duration because of the way rates are going. So how are you getting a better outcome if you take a longer term decision? So it's not just saying, what are the panelists doing to think about the future? How is it you might walk out and think, I think I better look at what they're doing because I might get a better outcome for the future. Now, no one that goes to this um, conference will be able to say, I'll buy that. That's not the goal here. They, They won't be able to do that. But we hope that they might walk out saying, I'm now intrigued about something, let me go and explore a bit more. And that's that's a win. I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Uh, Certainly looking at your current portfolio, I think you'd want to walk out of it going, I'm going to take a long, hard look at what I'm currently invested in and make sure that the companies that I invest in, if I hold direct equities, are thinking long-term as well as short-term. One great example, I've recently been hosting a, uh, a panel at the ASX Investor Days, and one of the recommendations from Platinum International is BMW. Um, mm-hmm. BMW, and the way they present it is very entertaining, but they're saying most people consider BMW to be an old-style company. You know, it was pre-World War II, they made uh, planes for the Luftwaffe, apparently. that was <laughs> That's their heritage, which is right. quite interesting. Okay. Um, wouldn't have ticked any ESG boxes back then. Um, yeah. But they have been investing 500 million, I heard this presentation eight times, so I know all the numbers now, uh, 500 million euros a year for the last 10 years to get their fleet ready for uh, the new emission standards that will come into effect across the world, so China and, and uh, particularly in Europe. And they were saying you need to have a look at each automobile company in the world. First of all, whether or not they make any money, but secondly, have they done the work to ensure that their fleet is going to be ready? Because everyone's all excited about Tesla, but Tesla doesn't make any money. BMW makes a bucket load of money, and they will be ready in time Mm. because they've done the work to ensure that their fleet standards will be that will meet the regulations. I find that really interesting, yeah. having a look at all the companies that you hold, how many of them are preparing for stuff that's pretty obviously in the public domain, right? Those standards have been out there for a while. Yeah, so a lot of people will have some different views on Tesla, and it's, I think it's interesting to think that, do we, have we gone into these electric cars um, without the push from Tesla? So did, did they change the way car companies started to think about electric and about the different emission standards? When, when you talk to anyone who I think is credible in this space, everyone doesn't seem, well, okay, the, the thematic that I've picked up on 
is that this is all driven, this change, not all, a lot of this change is driven by China. Mm. In that if I want to tap into that, that marketplace, I need to have a car that's credible to their environmental needs. And, mm. and I mentioned earlier how a lot of these things are interconnected about the climate and the like. If you put it down to that one simple link, that's a marketplace and they've got a regulatory environment that says if you want to be here, you need to do the following. That sort of makes sense to me. So if I think about an investment and you say, okay, BMW are the ones. If you if you said my, my premise is China's going to dominate in some way, shape or form the way people sell cars, mm. who's adapted to that, that, I can see that making sense. So I think, okay, who's picked that winner? Mm. That's how we're trying to get people to think about it about the, the, everyone wants a very simple answer to a very complex question, which is what does the future look like? And so what we're trying to say is simplify it in the sense of who's thinking if it's not me? Who else is thinking? And, and you've just given an example of Magellan thinking about it. So go to your fund manager, go to your industry supervisor, go to whoever. Big one. <laughs> oh, not I'm not <laughs> I think of them all the same at the moment. There's so much money, and they've just you know they've got their own ideas, but mm. it's hard to pass them. Mm. Platinum and oh, Magellan, yeah. they've they've both got very clear. Um, this is the world. Mm. There's not not that they aren't filled with doubt. No, no, definitely not filled with doubt. And they both tell a doubt. very good story. Yeah. They tell a great story, which is really important in a manager. You need to have a narrative. You need to be able to say, "This is what I stand for. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it." That's great. If mm. you think that people are successful fund managers because the market went up and they went up, mm, not so hot. I'd mm. rather think that people took a position and I could back them on their position. That's why you pick these managers. Mm. It actually comes to the next point, which is, I, th I think it's very challenging for retail investors to think about, as you say, picking a winner mm. in a universe where disruption is becoming uh, more of an aggressive reality, right? So the odd industry used to get disrupted. Now all industries are exposed to technological change and uh, the, the world is changing so dramatically in so many ways. So how do you think about that? But picking a winner is so difficult. If I look at the payment space, because Navtrade investors love the payment space in terms of Afterpay, they've got Zip, they've got Split It. Visa's just come out with an announcement saying that they will uh, offer instalment payment type options. You're trying to pick a winner in a market that may get regulated more heavily in the future and you see massive fluctuations in the price of these companies when uh, the regulators suggest there might be changes. Uh, you have to consider the possibility that someone like a PayPal might come out and do something similar as well so they could get disrupted by a competitor. It's very complex. If you are a retail investor, it's hard to pick a winner, but you want to be very sure you've got some exposure to these upstarts and newer opportunities mm. because the alternative is you're only invested in less exciting stuff that may get disrupted. I think um, you never want to give advice because you don't know about the, the, the way it's received. So it's not just that the advice might be wrong, but you don't know that people might take it in the way you intended to be. I think you should do the following. When it comes to what you've just described, in my head, uh, it's there's a couple of different uh, thematics. The first is you look at um, the business case for the you know whichever company you want to talk to, and what their success looks like. 
Uh, and if you say, okay, what is the success of Afterpay? Where is it? You know, is it everywhere? So on and so forth. So before you work out who's going to take their lunch, you have to sort of work out what their lunch looks like. That's the first thing. It is very hard to work out who the disruptor is to all these um, organisations. And, and imagine, um, use the example of Kodak. Mm, we it was loved everywhere. Kodak it was example. fantastic. Mm. Everyone loved Kodak. It was great experience. And then who would have thought that the thing that was... Uh, traditionally on the end of a line into a wall is now going to become a camera. Who would have picked that? That would be hard to work out. It would suggest to me that the strategy should be that you have very strong discipline around how you manage your exposure to high volatility assets. So by that I mean let it run and when it stops running, be really disciplined that you don't fall in love with it and say, okay, if it's volatile and it goes down by 10%, Let's let's shift it. Go and you can shift that price going up all the time. So if it starts at a dollar and goes to ten dollars, it's still at nine dollars. It's now at nine, and if it goes to twenty, it's now at eighteen or whatever you decide to do. And be really disciplined around how you play that space. And if you do that, that rule, if you have a rule that suits you, and then this is where I'm saying I don't know advice for everyone, but if you have a rule that suits you, you're more likely to be comfortable with the outcomes rather than saying, Oh, I didn't know Visa. Because Visa actually made the announcement 48 hours before we took it. Mm. So the announcement had been out for a day. And then at 4 o'clock, somebody else saw it and pushed it and it went. And so after they lost 10% or whatever, 15%, whatever they lost. Then yesterday, on the Monday, continued selling. And today they've reorganised their management. I don't think they did that on a whim. It was a plan that they had at Ford or whatever they were doing. I, I don't know. Um, it's up 6.5%. Find the discipline that says to you, you can sleep at night and then implement that rule. Whatever that rule is, make a rule. But if you don't have a rule, then it could be Afterpay, it could be Splitted, it could be PayPal, it could be Mark Todd Inc. It could be anyone. <laughs> Are you working on this at the moment, your own payments platform? My, my payments platform, not so much. I'm, I'm <laughs> I wouldn't suggest investing in it if you haven't built it yet. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm trying to work on some of my, uh, my various platforms, but this isn't one of them. Right. Very good. Um, so one of the other things I think about in this area is so this issue of trying to pick a winner in this sort of startup space is really challenging. Sure. Um, one option for people uh, is perhaps looking at funds that have an explicit mandate to go out and do that. And certainly there's many of them in the US as sort of venture capital type groups. Um, You'd have to contemplate whether or not there's anything here that you might want to do because private equity is a bit different. If you ever look at what some of the private equity firms hold, they took Maya, for example, which is not exactly in the startup space. You're a glass half empty person. (laughs) (laughs) I said it's not in the startup space. I said nothing more. On on the same front, private equity private equity continue to raise funds so they must be having some serious wins so that's mm. that's all fine um, I again so if I have if I if I say to everyone have a rule about how you manage your portfolio you don't want to be caught with too many rules so you don't do anything mm. so have a rule around your investments what do you know about them mm. so have it such that you can explain it and you feel comfortable that you know about it so what do you know about BHP not a lot, you know, you've got an idea of what the channels are, you know it's been around forever, you know that it's piling into these different uh, um, commodities and you think that's okay. Now BHP's done incredibly well, it's travelling really high. I'm not positive that everyone can point to, the retail investor, myself included, as to why that momentum might be happening 
at the moment and has been happening for a long time. Iron ore prices up massively. Yeah, but, it, you, <laughs> but what's driving... <laughs> my reason. No, no, but mm. what's driving the iron ore prices? What's, mm. what's the driver? It's not... It's, do you get what I mean? It's the fundamental movement. Mm. Like when BHP dropped to $17... And it's such an old company. I said, well, you must buy that because that doesn't make any sense either. Mm. Now, I don't know that the iron, pro- iron ore prices are sustainable. I, I don't know enough about what's happening. Mm. I don't know enough about China versus the US. I don't know enough about it. But I can say you should have some discipline about it. Mm. I can say work out what you know about it. So you say to me, I believe it's about iron ore. That's fine. It, mm. it doesn't matter. But have something that you say that's the reason why. Mm. And it's the same reason as why anything in terms of a fund manager that you invest with, what do you know about them? And if you can explain that comfortably and, and you believe that that's right, then it's probably okay to start thinking about that as an investment. So one of the ones I think is useful for people to think about, research and development is typically extremely expensive. You know, it, it's a sure. sunk cost for many people. Um, and the payoff can be decades away. And most investors shy away from that. If you say, I'm going to be investing heavily for many years and you will not see a payoff for a decade or, decade or more, people really struggle. And particularly true in medical fields, pharmaceuticals, those sorts of areas where there's very high regulatory costs, very high risk of failure, all those sure. sorts of things. But the payoff can be absolutely astonishing. Australia's got one exceptional company in this field uh, that everybody knows, and that's CSL. And I remember the first time I bought CSL, I'm still bragging about it many years later, but for $15. And the story at $15 was you are buying the blood plasma revenues now for $15, and you're getting decades of R&D for free, right? You're getting this really high quality research and development for free and anything in that book of patents could come to life and become a whole new revenue stream that you don't know about. So happy days, right? That's awesome. That's that's sort of consistent with what I was talking about. Well, I was thinking, you know, so other companies and areas that people should be looking for that kind of opportunity because my understanding is that opportunity hasn't changed for CSL. They're still doing the R&D. There is still long book of patents that nobody knows which ones are going to take off and which ones won't work. So there's... There's probably three ways to think about all this stuff. One is the business case, you just described it, that's fine. What's the narrative? Mm. So the narrative was, here's the business case about all the the, uh, the the plasma story. The narrative is, but there's a whole bunch of other things that are in there that might be free for you. So that's a narrative that you get, so business case narrative. And then the last thing is, what's the execution? Mm. So it was a really well executed business and probably continues to be. So you need to think about it from that perspective and then say, okay, that sort of makes sense. So, so who is doing that? Like if we think about the disruptors, we think about the non-disrupted, but how they're responding to the future. It's literally, what is the narrative? Therefore, give me your strategy, give me a narrative, and then who's accountable? Like what, what will happen? So if you keep having companies come up with a different plan, different strategy, we're now gonna do this and no one's accountable, Mm, not so hot but whereas if you can go back to this idea that I said if you know the fund manager they will give you a strategy they will explain it in the way BMW they just explained it by the fund manager they just explained it and then they're accountable okay the share price gets smashed if they don't do the return that's that's how I think about it so if you look at what disruptors the big disruptors at the moment are in banking the payment space that, that's massive retail is maybe you know that's been disrupted um, I don't know yet where Agri has been disrupted. 
but I think agri is on the on the verge of being disrupted, and I think that's where the in, right now today that's where a lot of interest is. We've spoken about agri before, but I think mm. data, machine learning, agri, massive machineries. I think there's something going to happen in agri that's um, pretty powerful. So you do have a speaker, uh, you have a whole session at yeah. the conference talking about agri, which I think is terribly interesting for people. You know, there's a whole variety of issues to think about there as it relates to food and food security, biosecurity, yep. uh, efficiencies in farming and so on. And uh, thinking of agri as infrastructure. Mm. You know, what is it that we're doing? So we've got AAM as the fund manager who are, uh, will talk to us about what they've done in Lejeune Station up there in the Northern Territory, the, the work they're doing there, which is quite amazing. Now they're a NAB customer. They're a NAB customer in Lejeune Station. Uh, so that's, th- there's a bit of bias there. So, you know, we, <laughs> we really like them, but you know, they had to make the case for themselves mm. about what they're doing. Um, we've also got AAM, uh, sorry, we've got um, First State Super, mm-hmm. uh, who are talking about how they think about it from an infrastructure investment strategy. Uh, and we hope to have um, the CSIRO on as well, talking about the development in food and food security and what's happening in food. Ties into the next question, actually, and I, you know, I've mentioned before on this podcast, I have an interest in this and my father works in a university and his most innovative breakthroughs, and some of them are astonishing, right? He's been nominated for a number of awards and does kind of incredible things. And he, he works with the Gates Foundation out of the US. He has worked with Rockefeller in the past. A lot of his funding comes from philanthropic groups. So he works in a university. His funding comes from philanthropic groups, people who don't expect to get a financial payoff for what they're doing. They just believe it's the right thing to do. But the economic benefits are dramatic as a result. Oh. And I think investors get very limited visibility of that. Partly the reason philanthropic investors need to get involved is that the timeframes are just far too long for the average person. And I know the Gates Foundation uh, work that Dad started, they told them when it very first, it was called Grand Challenges in Global Health. They got, there were four Nobel Prize winners in the room when they were first all brought together to be funded by Gates for their sort of dream project. This is the thing I'm going to do to change the world. He's funding all of it. When they came into the room, they said quite openly, you know, only 10% of you will be here in 10 years' time. If your projects don't work, we will cut you loose. But they can afford to do that. They can sink their money into 90% of projects that aren't working Mm. just to fund the 10 that do. Is there any opportunity for retail investors to think about this stuff or is it more just keeping an eye on some of the more interesting developments in those areas and then perhaps considering where the ancillary benefits might lie or the ancillary economic benefits might lie? Well, the immediate term is it's probably very hard for a retail investor to take advantage of what you've just described, but they will be the beneficiary of uh, better quality in food so I should say they're Australian universities. Dad's at a university in Queensland and one of the only other Gates Foundation project in Australia was also a university in Queensland. So mm. it's, it's, yeah, it's local, it's local people yeah, working yeah. on but it. But it's very hard as an investor to say, okay, this is how I should invest on the basis of it. So that mm. would be a bit tricky, but they would be the beneficiaries of any success. Um, I remember reading about how we did some work in Australia on rice and were able to create um, rice stalks that stayed stronger, strengthened the base. So what that meant was that 
the, the yield on crops that didn't drop into water and be rotted was increased to 15, 20%. And what that meant was the amount of lives that were saved because food, you know, they didn't starve in, in Asia was significant. So I think there is benefits that you aren't always aware of, uh, and that's fine. You'd like to think that that, that efforts uh, are taking place. I think um, the investor base is probably thinking more about some more immediate outcomes. And I think that's all around, you know, how do I, if, if the Gates and Co came up with something, how was it implemented? Mm. Who, who did they sell the technology to and therefore that's a disruptor? I need to sort of understand that in that respect because there'll be somebody who will take that technology and make it into a, a business and try and find those winners. So how else do you think investors should be trying to keep abreast of the things that might be likely to affect them? I do think one of the most exciting things about this conference is there are super funds there and big professional investors. Mm. So they are thinking about this on your behalf and that is really good to know if you are in if you are a member of Unisuper, for example, or First Date Super or whatever, you want to be very confident that the people who run your money sure. are thinking about this stuff. How else should people think about keeping up to date with it, keeping an eye out for new opportunities? Are there any good sources? You talked about the uh, the futurist who's coming. Well, we've got we've got the first panel is the intolerant economy, where you're going to have Lee Hatton, who's the chief executive of Ubank. Um, we've got Craig Scroggy, Bruce Jeffries, both. Um, cutting-edge new business builders. And then we've got David Phillips from Investec who is in invests in emerging companies. If you come to that and understand what's happening in that space just alone, how investors are thinking about startups, how startups are thinking about investors, it's, that's really interesting. And that's if you're an investor, you might say, could I learn from how they think about it? So then, that's a really good point. Can an investor come to this conference? Sure. Just a person who's listening? Yeah, everyone can. No problem. Okay. So how would they find out how to come? Um, we are... Oh, well, okay. So there's... <laughs> the, anyone who listens to this podcast will be um, more than welcome to attend. We will uh, register their invite. Um, let's put it up on... Let's see if NabTrade will host it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on the 1st of August, so we just got to make sure those dates don't uh, conflict with some events that you might have on. Mm-hmm. But anyone that wants to can reach out to me uh, directly, mark.todd.nab.com.au, but we will ask if we can find the space to put it up mm-hmm. uh, on the NabTrade uh, website, and they're more than welcome to attend, no problem. That is very exciting for people, because it's pretty rare to get the opportunity to attend something of this significance, you know, with this range of people talking about this range of topics, often you can feel quite, quite at a distance from these kinds of ideas. There is a lot of uh, people in that room that you'd probably want to hear what they think today. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Um, we've got people like um, so in the second panel that you're moderating, mm-hmm. Gemma, you're moderating Ian Patrick, the chief investment officer for SunSuper. Mm-hmm. Chris Joy from Coolabar, and he's also a Fin Reviewer journalist, and Chris Black from Alexander Funds Management. They will talk about how they're thinking about investments when their customers are not necessarily always working. So if we think about what the working life will look like, just just take 
women leaving the workforce, coming back into the workforce, and then saying, I better buy every growth stock I possibly can because I've got to make up for the time I wasn't working. Or, you know, I can't tell you how many times people have spoken to me about um, leaving the workforce, marriages changing status, and then saying, I now have to manage my own money and I really better buy black because I need to make a lot of money because I haven't been, you know, earning that money and all that, which I just don't like. So I think these people, and I hope you really hold their feet to the fire, can talk about <laughs> how they're thinking about their customer base as it's moving. Mm. How do they engage with them? What are they investing? What are they looking at? I think it'll be really interesting uh, what strategies they're asking people to consider. So that's that's open to anyone. Anyone can, you know, anyone's a NAB customer. We want, it's, like I said, there's nothing that you can point to and say, I want to buy it. You can walk out and say, I was entertained, educated. I think of NAB differently. Thank them for the day. Get a free cup of tea and a sandwich and off you go. <laughs> well, I think also it, oh, it should help people think more yeah. about these things. You know, how do I bring this kind of thinking to the way I frame my portfolio? Portfolio, As we know with many investors, particularly retirees, but but younger people as well, you, you, know, you buy a couple of index funds or you buy yeah. four banks in Telstra and you know you're started but how do you think think more strategically and more long term about it so it's super exciting uh mark you publish heaps of stuff which is exciting this is probably the most significant thing you do all year but you publish lots of videos and updates and so on how do people keep up to date with all of your things and make sure they don't miss something like this well uh it's sometimes a bit challenging we try and put most of our product on uh, much of our content uh, on NAB trade, so I think that's the first port of call. Mm-hmm. Um, you're more than welcome to um, email me directly. As I said, it's mark.todd.nab.com.au, which people have been doing, so that's not great for anyone that, that uh, not head of sales, not head of sales, no. <laughs> so anyone who wants to do that, more than welcome. But I think the first place to go would be NAB trade, and then from there we can pivot and look at any of the stuff I do. They can probably follow you on LinkedIn as well. Uh, yeah, there's LinkedIn and there's all those platforms. And all those I'm things. everywhere at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Mark, thank you so much. Gemma, my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. We'd love to see you at the uh, at the Kanga Conference, called the Kanga Conference. Yep. Uh, if you would like to attend, get in touch with Mark, follow on LinkedIn. We'll try to have something up on the NAB Trade site. So we're talking about it with you for a reason and hopefully it helps you put some real... Uh, longer term thinking behind how you put your money to work Uh, we hope as always this episode has been helpful for you on your journey to creating wealth if you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics we actually love hearing from you we really do so please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale thanks for joining me thank you for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale to stay up to date please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealthatnab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.